This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds and Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash register. That's R-E-Y, slash register. Hi, everyone. This is Steve Smith with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, May 18th. According to Rick Tool, Chief Operating Officer for AI, we are on the verge of a tipping point to LiDAR-enabled transportation. The startup is actively working with suppliers like Continental to bring AI's LiDAR technology to market, and in February announced plans to go public through a special-purpose acquisition company. He says one of the pieces of evidence illustrating that future of LiDAR-enabled transportation is near is the fact that automakers planning 2024 programs are working hard to incorporate LiDAR at scale, into those future models rolling off production lines. Tool says the technology is mature enough for that scaling, and he also says that efforts to ensure the readiness and auto-grade reliability of the technology has addressed another industry concern. Cost, which he says has declined to a point where it makes economic sense to incorporate LiDAR features into vehicles at scale. And while cost is important, he also says the most important reason driving the adoption of LiDAR technology is safety. The more the industry can show consumers how LiDAR can help save lives and also show how it can impact their pocketbook, the more he believes consumer sentiment will evolve from, do I want this, to I have to have this. Very similar to past safety features, like seatbelts, which, by the way, also hit consumers in the pocketbook, in the form of traffic citations for failing to wear them. What else excites him about the future of LiDAR technology and automotive? What are his views on the semiconductor shortage, its impact on the automotive industry, and what needs to change? What solutions is the company bringing to market that are different than other LiDAR companies? We've reached Rick Tool, Chief Operating Officer for Startup AI in Austin, Texas. Rick, thanks so much for joining me today on Daily Drive. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Steve. So why don't we hop into what AI is doing? You're a player in the LiDAR space. To your point, you come to the team with experience in your career working in in LiDAR, et cetera. What is your assessment of the LiDAR market? How mature is the tech? And why is AI's technology, its solution, different from others that might be in the market? Well, you know, a couple of things. The the market is maturing in a couple of ways. I mean, obviously, it's maturing in terms of technology. Um, so as as LIDAR is becoming much more understood in terms of its use cases and how it operates and, and, and how it can be used by various control systems, um, the, the technology is just starting to really blossom and bloom. Um, and then that's also leading to cost reduction. So as LIDAR is becoming more adopted, uh, that just drives down prices, right? So it sort of paralyzes uh, what happened in the radar business. I mean, the very similar thing occurred with radar. It was very expensive. Then it got adopted. Then it got refined. Now companies are out there talking about other types of LIDAR. Uh, but but we believe that LIDAR is the really the correct sensor for autonomous things to sense the world. Uh, we think it is, uh, it's inherently has the a lot of attributes at longer range of LIDAR, LIDAR, and at shorter range, it behaves a lot like an imager. So you sort of get the best of both worlds. And, uh, you know, we, we believe that any, and, and this is just through a lot of experience, we have seen over and over and over again 
where companies try to make cameras act like LiDAR and they try to make radar act like LiDAR. And it's sort of funny. It's like, okay, everybody tries to make LiDAR act like LiDAR. So why don't we just get LiDAR to a cost point and a use point so that it can become the uh, seminal sensor uh, in the vehicle? And, and that's what's happening right now. And as far as uh, our technology, AI went at the technology with a slightly different approach. So first is a modular design. So we have a very simplified modular design that allows us to scale up, mass produce, and cost down. But secondly, we also use edge computing. So the ability to take the data that comes off of the, uh, the sensor and be able to process it and give higher quality data to the perception solutions instead of just this huge quantity of data. And then another area that, we, that, that we've innovated really is the ability to have a dynamic pattern. So instead of having a static pattern of just scanning the world one way, whether it's a, a sweep back and forth with, a, with an array of lasers and detectors or whether it's a rasterized sweep using some sort of a, a beam steering device, we have the ability to literally paint the uh, scene in front of the vehicle in any way that the user or the operator or the, the system would like to have painted. So that way we can, we can focus on certain areas and not sacrifice uh, the entire scene. So we can actually scan a scene, focus on an area, and continue scanning a scene all in real time. Uh, this leads to a couple of really interesting advantages. One is we can um, do what human beings do very, very well. So if you're driving down the road and you're looking out the window, there's a whole lot of stuff that can, that can catch your attention. Right. But if you have a passenger sitting there and they're looking out the window, what do they yell when they see something? They go truck, truck, truck. So it's, it's it, you know, stop. Right. So I think that that, you know, the, the intra frame, we have the ability to say this is something that is that is a hazard that you need to be paying attention to and also paying attention to the rest of the scene at the same time. We also get velocity out of that. So an intra frame, we have the ability to generate velocity data. Um, but because of the way that we're able to scan uh, dynamically and the way that we're able to scan so rapidly, we can we can derive velocity uh, within a single frame instead of having to wait for another frame to come around. So so this dynamic scanning and this edge compute capability, we think, are, are two of our most unique features. And all of this computing power happens within, I would imagine, milliseconds on the vehicle? Um, Microseconds, or- actually. Microseconds. So we're able to to uh, to analyze a frame during the actual scan. So so in a matter of of microseconds, we're able to do make many of these decisions on whether we should um, be focusing on something in the scene or whether we should be uh, just continuing on with a with a uh, a standard sweep. But again, all of this is is in control of the perception solution. So this isn't. This isn't an either-or situation. The, the, mm. the perception solution has complete control over the way that we're scanning the environment. But when you think about it, you're driving down the road, uh, you know the uh, conditions can change. You can go from a bright sunny day to rain to fog. You can go from daytime to nighttime. You can have sand. You can have dust. And to say that you're just going to have the exact same pattern uh, coming out of the LIDAR scanning the world in front of you is a little bit of Pollyanna. I think that uh, the ability for us to say we're going to adjust the pattern based upon a whole variety of conditions, whether it's urban setting, a, a, a more rural setting, an ultra rural setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we think that this is what makes the AI LIDAR so unique. And not only that, superior in, in almost every way to any other uh, solution that's out there. 
Well, we've been talking about LIDAR for 12 years, 10 years now, and the same question has come up in in a lot of conversations is when are we going to get to this tipping point? What's really going to matter for us to see this technology at scale? And and it sounds to me that at least through this solution, a lot of those challenges that we often hear have been addressed. Cost, one example. Um, uh, the the reliability of the software and the hardware. You're talking about some very advanced capabilities in AI solution. So are we at a point to a tipping scale where we're going to start to see this these technologies mass produced and, and scaled in a way that uh, we'll see this technology on, on the road sooner versus later? You know, I believe we are. Um, I think that when you start looking at the usefulness of LiDAR, I mean, you're seeing that Apple is putting LiDAR on, on cell phones and on iPads. And you have to you, you you have to ask your question why why are they doing that what is it you know it, and it, there's because there's so much utility at being able to analyze the world with pinpoint accuracy and create a very accurate 3D view of the world by painting the world with lasers and then getting the answers back from a receiver um, it is just it is a superior modality of sensing the world and. Uh, you know the bids are now for all of these these vehicles, whether it's an autonomous vehicle or whether it's ADAS. You're, the bids are now, so the technology systems that are going to be coming out that use lidar, they're coming in volume you know, starting in at 2024, right? So there's mm-hmm. there's there's auto auto companies that are out there saying we're putting lidar in the vehicle because we believe it is a superior sensing modality for safety for ADAS, right? And you're going to see it more normalized in other applications. You're going to see it in um, uh, any sort of a large vehicle that might actually uh, benefit from that, whether it's construction equipment, whether it's a warehouse gear, whether it is uh, uh, robots that are doing last mile delivery, whether it is robots doing you know further delivery, longer term delivery. You see it with uh, trucks. You're seeing it with with all of these sorts of vehicles, and and of course, even even trains are now looking at using lidar to be able to see what's uh, up ahead and then make decisions independently of the driver. So we we believe that we have reached a tipping point. Now it is the scaling, the mass production, uh, getting the products out there. There there are you know reliability thresholds that we've already co- crossed um, as an industry. Uh, the the automotive industry has has just been you know incredibly. Um, welcoming in terms of, of getting the technology in and and saying this is what we need in order to make sure that we can put the sensor on the vehicle and it will go through all of the rigors that you have uh, sitting out in cold weather, hot weather, rain, snow, ice, mud, vibration, shock, potholes, you name it, um, being able to survive um, a crash um, and, and operate long enough to navigate the vehicle to safety if possible or even avoiding the crash. Right. And so mm-hmm. the way that the way that AI has designed their product on top of all of the incredible features I mentioned earlier, that the design of the product is extremely resistant to shock and vibe, which means that the way that it's been designed, that the LIDAR will continue to operate long past a point of the airbags deploying or the operator passing out. So we have made sure that the design is robust in that way as well, because if if the it's great that it's a it's a superior sensor modality, but it's not so great if you're in a fender bender and this 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 sensor uh, stops working because of that. So we we I, I think the tipping point is an excellent 
uh, phrase, an excellent uh, uh, way of describing where the LIDAR market is right now. Well, there's so much going on in the industry right now, and there's so much to unpack in what you just said. So I'd like to maybe go down two pathways of conversation for the next couple of minutes, one on the consumer side, but also on the other side, I want to dig into the semiconductor issue that we're all hearing about right now, because I, I believe that it has relevance to what we're talking about, but I'd love to get your your point of view. Let's, let's save that for just a couple of minutes. On the consumer side, one of the things that always been has been interesting, not only about this technology, but connected technology and electrified technology is this this paradox of automakers and suppliers investing billions of dollars into these these technologies, but the uh, verdict or or lack verdict, I should say, thereof, if consumers would actually pay for this, or these are features where they would pay a premium from. Is that question of whether consumers will pay a premium for these type of technologies no longer a relevant question given the cost benefits that you that you described or you talked about a minute ago? That's a that's a really good question. I, I think that at the end of the day, the proof is in the deployment of the technology and the success of the technology. So if there is a straight line, we believe there is. I mean, this is this isn't even a question in the minds of the people who build ADAS systems based on LIDAR or build sensors, right? The In the mind of the consumer, the question is, if I put a LIDAR in my vehicle, is it a life-saving device, right? Mm-hmm. Is it, can can it, can it avoid, and, and, and in two directions. One is, can it keep me from doing damage with my vehicle that was unintended? You know, someone stepping out of a crosswalk and you don't see them, someone on a bicycle, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other is, you know, I'm driving down the road and, and there's a stopped car in front of me and I don't know how far away it is because I'm, I'm spatially disoriented or or maybe even distracted. Um, and then the LIDAR is able to very accurately respond. And we and we're seeing that that these 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 systems that are in vehicles today that are based on camera and radar just aren't aren't doing the job. Right. So it, you at, at during day on, under ideal conditions. A human being walks, an adult walks across the road. These systems are some percentage accurate, right? Maybe mm-hmm. 65, 70% accurate on the high end vehicles, right? On the lower end vehicles, what you'll find is that there is actually a line down in terms of, of how effective they are. But let's just say these higher end luxury types of vehicles that have these very sophisticated ADAS systems, they're extremely ineffective when it comes to, to smaller people who are more vulnerable, like children. Um, mm-hmm. And then at nighttime, they, 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 the statistics are even worse, right? These studies are out there. They can, you, know, you could find them online and read about them. You know, this is, and this has been validated and verified. And so when you add LIDAR, what you find is that LIDAR is unbelievably accurate. It brings its own light to the party. It doesn't matter if it's daytime or nighttime, right? The LIDAR sees equally well in all of those conditions. And then a lot is said about, can it see through fog? Can it see through rain? And the answer is yes, but especially the AI LIDAR, because we can change the scan pattern to be able to do a better job at seeing through all of those weather conditions. So I think that that from the consumer standpoint, the really the question is, if I have a LIDAR on my vehicle and it's connected to an ADAS system, does it make me safer? And the answer is yes, and that it's up to the industry to prove and demonstrate that. Again, the proof will be in the pudding. When rear-end collisions go down on vehicles that have uh, LIDAR, 
when uh, the the uh, accident rate in terms of hitting people, uh, bicycles and pedestrians and all of that goes down because of LIDARs on vehicles, the proof will be there. And I think that we we in the industry have done enough testing that we intuitively know that. That's why these major OEMs are putting LIDAR on their vehicles. They know it. That That debate is over. Now what we have to do is demonstrate that to the consumer and the consumers, it'll start on the on the more expensive vehicles and then customers will be able to buy a safety package that has LIDAR or maybe it doesn't have LIDAR. Uh, it, it will be a premium at some point and then it's going to become just like, uh, you know, the uh, uh, anti-lock brakes or any of these technologies that were on, on higher end vehicles at first and then migrated down. Right. And it may even get to the point where it's legislated that, look, that the safety is so clear by having a LIDAR and multiple LIDARs perhaps on a vehicle that it is just legislated or mandated that it has to be there. Um, but, you know, we, we have some road to go down for that. But but yeah, I, I believe the consumer just wants to know that that when I have LIDAR on a vehicle and, and that just doesn't go just for passenger vehicles, that goes for any types of vehicles, warehouse uh, equipment, delivery robots, anything, right? When it, mm-hmm. when it is proven that LIDAR can do the, the, the thing that it says and it fulfills its promise, I think consumers are going to, it's just, it'll just be an automatic thing. They're going to say, yep, I need to have that. They don't necessarily need to understand all the details about how it works. All they need to know is that when my teenage son or daughter is in a vehicle that has LIDAR, there is a vastly increased um, likelihood that they're going to, to come home accident free. So correct me if I'm, or keep me honest here is probably the best way to say it. Um, I would further than extrapolate based on on what you're saying that this notion of having the ability to turn off some of these quit these systems in your vehicle as a consumer, probably it would be would be not something that you would recommend. So let me know if you disagree or agree with that, because I will tell you personally, I'm driving down the road in my vehicle and the aid as lane assist um, is not on because I don't like the driving experience. I, it's something that I I've chosen to turn off. It seems that that behavior is not going to be something that we should make available to consumers around LIDAR, LIDAR technology. Would you agree, disagree? What's your point of view on that? I, I think I have a modified viewpoint on that. I understand exactly what you're saying. When, you, when you're changing lanes, when you have the lane assist on and you're changing lanes and the steering wheel vibrates, mm-hmm. that's annoying uh, because we change lanes all the time, right? But I, I think that there's going to be thresholds where the vehicle says, okay, listen, you, you're driving the vehicle, but you're making suggestions. You're not really driving the vehicle. You're suggesting to the vehicle what it should do. So you say, I'm going to change lanes. And the vehicle says, no, no, you're not, right? I'm not, mm-hmm. not going to, you could turn the wheel, but the car, ain't, we're not going to go. And then there's some sort of alert that tells you, and then you look and say, oh my gosh, there was a bicycle there or a motorcycle. I didn't see it, somebody in my blind spot, et cetera. So I think that that there will be what thresholds, just like uh, when you have adaptive cruise control, you could say, I, I want to follow closer. I want to follow a little further away. They had, they give you options of how far away uh, that, that you can be for adaptive cruise control for whatever. But I think that that when the vehicle says, listen, you overriding this can can cause a catastrophic failure, right? I'm not going to let you do it, right? I mean, it's it's inconceivable to me. I mean, I, I like to fly planes and I, it's inconceivable to me that in with today's technology that a pilot of a commercial uh, airliner can fly the plane into the ground. It's inconceivable or a mountain. It is, it, and I think the same thing with vehicles, with cars, it, you know, or trucks, right? It is absolutely inconceivable to me with the technology that we have today that this can continue to, to go on. And so I think that there will be 
at some point it'll be, look, you can turn it off to some degree. Maybe you can dial it back to some degree. Maybe you can turn off some of the alerts. Maybe you can change the sounds or whatever. But but disabling that is a lot like saying, I am I am okay with putting myself and others at risk for my convenience as a driver. I I just I don't see that happening long term. Well, to your point, that that might require legislation and and some policymakers to weigh in on that as well. I mean, you even look at the incident with the Tesla and the what is perhaps a lack of a fail safe. I can get out from actually getting out from behind the wheel while the vehicle is still moving and the system still remains engaged versus what what other OEM systems do. And I'm not asking for you to provide a a pro and con of either system, but your point is taken that says there are at least some examples where those fail safes aren't there. And we're going to need that consumer trust if these things are going to reach the scale that and the benefits that I think we all realize are available out of LIDAR. It'll boil down to dollars as well. When your insurance company basically says, listen, you've got a LIDAR on your vehicle and that system is on, um, you know, you end up with a much lower accident rate and therefore lower premiums. Um, I, I think that, you know, it, it, it's, it's going to come down to human cost and then it's going to come down to, to your wallet. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in all things, and the wallet is, is also just the, uh, you know, how much does the system cost? How much of a cost adder is it? Am I willing to pay that? Right. It, you know, is that, am I paying for an insurance premium or am I actually paying for a technology that, that really makes my driving experience uh, less stressful and actually more enjoyable. So I think there, there, there's just a lot of things to mix into that pot. But I, but I do believe, of course, there's going to be people who just basically go, nope, I'm turning that thing off. And I think that there's going to be levels of the system that they'll say, no, may, maybe under 30 miles per hour, we'll let you turn it off. I, I think that's a really dumb idea. But okay, so maybe under 30, because that's when, that's usually when bicyclists get hit and pedestrians get hit and things like that, right? When you're at 50, 60 miles per hour, you're on a relatively controlled freeway, right? But I I cannot conceive of, and, and again, maybe I'm just too close to the tech, but I cannot conceive of a, of a, uh, of a situation where we should allow the user to basically say, I'm going to turn off this life-saving feature um, or, or diminish it in some way other than the way it was intended. So I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that, that, uh, that the, this adoption actually ends up saving, you know, an, an enormous amount of lives. I believe it will. I unequivocally, I believe that this technology is life-saving technology. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more. Consumers today are pushing for remote and virtual experiences. What you may think is a simple fix by going fully online quickly results in an even bigger problem: loss of control and shrinking profit margins. The question isn't if you go online, it's how. How is it done in a way that you don't sacrifice the success of your overall dealership? The answer? Tune in starting May 17th for a virtual summit hosted by Reynolds & Reynolds. You will gain educational insight into all things digital retail, challenges to the status quo, how to retail anywhere without sacrificing anything, and the true impact on dealerships just like yours through one-on-one dealer conversations. This event is on us and on demand. Grab a seat while they last. We hope to see you there. To register for the virtual summit and learn more about retail anywhere, visit reyrey.com slash register. That's R-E-Y, R-E-Y dot com slash register. 
let's turn a little bit to the semiconductor issue. Overall, what's your point of view? What is your, how do you view the semiconductor issue? Yeah, the <laughs> semiconductor issue is, is of course, very real. Um, it's, it's not a, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it is something that anyone who is building uh, complex electronics has to be aware of. I think that, you know, what, what is interesting about it is, is we, over the last, I don't know, dozen years, um, the, the industry got to a point where it, it was developing this process of just-in-time inventory. We got so good at being able to do rolling 12-month forecasts and being able to order quarter to quarter and have these standing purchase orders and just have just enough inventory in stock in order to fulfill the, the, the production that, that, that we need, uh, you know, that I, I think that, that this has become sort of the crux of the problem. It's not like we, we would say, okay, well, we're going to have, you know, X amount of dollars of inventory sitting in a warehouse waiting. Uh, we're going to have six months of buffer, right? That six months of buffer as an operations person might get you fired at mm -hmm. some companies. because They're going to look Absolutely. at the numbers and they're going to go, what are you doing? Right. But I think if COVID and I think that if the 5G build out, and I think that if, if other um, uh, things uh, that if that are going on in the world that are impacting semiconductor production, crazy things, fi fires at uh, at factories that produce uh, you know um, certain materials that is needed in order to uh, produce semiconductors. There's sort of this perfect storm that has sort of uh, taken place. I think that if it's taught us anything, is that is for the items that are really, really, really hard to make, and semiconductors are really, really, really hard to make. Um, and you're usually single sourced on those things. It's not like you can say, hey, I've got this super complex chip and I have uh, Fab A building it and Fab B building it. And I'm good. If Fab A goes down and that's company A, I've got company B. You know, you are usually sidled up against a Fab that is building your, your product or you're buying a product from a company who is sidled up against that particular Fab. Anything goes wrong, anything happens at those Fabs. You know, you're 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 in danger of not being able to build your product. So, I think that what this is teaching us is that we, for these products that are extremely hard to build, we have to modify ourselves from this just-in-time inventory to saying we need a, we need buffer, right? And how much that buffer is—three months, six months, whatever—I think that's that's really the uh, the question. So, as operations folks, we are now really taking a look across the entire ecosystem. And saying, what is it that we need to do in order to balance um, our long lead time items? And saying, listen, we're just going to have to have buffer stock. We're just going to have to do that from moving on. And and that is a change that is that is I think starting to happen, and I'm seeing it more and more. And of course, this is a this is a model that AI uh, will be adopting as well. But I think that that um, the the other thing is is that you also start looking at second sources a lot more seriously than you did before because we got so good. At being able to say, "Hey, we got a sole source, and, and we're okay with that," I think mm -hmm. that it just it just all of a sudden the bell started ringing that you need second sources, and maybe you need them in other regions of the world because uh, if, if your two sources are in the same region and some calamity strikes there, then then you're right back to the situation that you're in. So these are these are things that we're looking at, and and these are changes that I think are taking. Well, the second source issue is is ideas is an interesting one. We're actually publishing. We published a you know, report in this week's edition of Automotive News that was based on a survey of 475 readers of the paper. And you asked them to navigate this issue 
are you looking for alternate sources of supply? And many have said, particularly those among automaker and supplier respondents, many said yes. But then in the same breath, they say, but we're concerned. We're concerned with the cost. We're concerned with the quality, the ability of these alternate uh, source chips to meet auto grade specifications. And we are we're uh, concerned about the quality of these of these chips cost in, in this view is a bit more of a long term. Right. What are warranty costs, warrant uh, repair costs if these things fail because they, they don't meet auto grade specs? Given that background, that situation, your view of, you know, your comment about alternate source chips is any of this you think going to delay this rollout, this this march towards the tipping point of lidar that we're where we started this conversation? It's a it's a really again a really really good question. Um, I think that so and there's a lot of nuances to it, right? The, mm-hmm. the lidar Absolutely. sensor does not operate in a vacuum, right? So there are there are massive compute engines for full autonomy uh, that that these sensors have to connect to. Um, and in ADAS, there are smaller ECUs that they have to connect to. Um, I think that when you solve your problem and are able to say, okay, I have, I, I, I've solved the LIDAR production problem because of whatever reason, right? I've, I've spun up a program where I have a board that has one type of, of chip on it and another board that has a different type of chip on it. And I can switch back and forth and I've invested and I've qualified the parts and I've done all these things. And by the way, that's, that is also the rub. Right. So if you if you're going in and basically saying, OK, my you know, my ED&D budget is going to is going to go way up because I'm now going to, to to invest in two parallel paths just in case that there is some sort of a problem with supply chain. Right. Then, you know, uh, I mean, OEMs have to just be willing to say, OK, we're willing to either take on that cost or we're willing to share that cost or we're willing whatever. Right. I mean, it's a so mm-hmm. so to spin up these two programs is a lot of cost. But let's say, uh, you know, that that you get to the point where you could do that. Right. You you still have the problem where the other so other ECUs in the vehicle, maybe they're not so lucky. Right. So so maybe you get to a point where you've solved your problem, but you have nothing to connect to because there's a chip shortage on the ECU module that you're connected to. And now you just have to wait for that problem to get resolved. You're you're lying down until those until that particular problem is solved. So it is really a domino effect. And I think that the industry as a whole has to face it and address it and basically say, listen, you know, we are going to have to get out of this mentality of of single sources are absolutely okay. There's no risk to that. And number two, that we're just going to do just in time inventory. That's the that is our operating uh, mode. We, those two things are going to you're just going to have to rethink that because again I I believe that from a lidar standpoint you know we've at least at least at where where I have been there has been a tremendous early focus I, and I will have to say we've worked with some uh, contract manufacturing partners that have been outstanding that have gave that gave us plenty of lead time at telling us that um, that there could be a potential. Uh, chip shortage. This was even before COVID, because of the five G build out, et cetera. They, you know, they they were just educating us on on supply and and what we needed to do, et cetera. And so I think that um, that forced, you know, at least, you know, the mindset with me to say, listen, we need to get out of this just in time inventory model, and we need to we need to buy buffer stock and do things like that. But then then there is the duplication of effort 
to get to your second source, and then there is the hope that the that the uh, that the ECUs and the compute platforms that your sensors connecting to that they have done something similar, and that they're going to be able to meet their schedules and demands in order to ramp to these model year productions. It's just the way it is. There's a lot well, of trust involved. Yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right, though. But the way this industry has built itself in terms of integration across different suppliers that are providing different components within an entire system, the mindset around procurement just in time. There are industries out there. You mentioned aerospace. You mentioned you enjoy flying planes. Aerospace is one of those that does this type of stuff along with deeper supply chain visibility, which I think is going to be another thing that we'll have to work on in this industry. Again, it's something that our research is also saying that that you know suppliers and end OEMs don't have a lot of visibility in their supply chain past tier one. And that might be uh, another issue beyond those that you are you're outlining here and how we solve for this and 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 make sure this doesn't happen again. And one other one other interesting thought is that the the AI product is designed in uh, in, in a way that it is, it is pretty modular. I mean, it, it is a modular design. And so the partners that we have with Continental, who is, uh, uh, they're turning 150 years old this year. I believe it's uh, sometime in October. So happy mm-hmm. birthday, Conti. Um, you know, they, uh, they have also really been able to look at, the, at the, the modular design and take advantage of that. And we're doing the same thing with our industrial and mobility products um, that is based on the, the same design. But what, what is great about that is to say, okay, I can take this component out and put this component in and I have the same performance, right? You can say that second source and, and it is to a very large degree, but it's also, it's also the fact that we went into the design that way. And interesting, you mentioned aerospace and defense. This is Louis Dassan, who is, uh, the, uh, one of the founders of AI, and this is his design. He approached the design and with a, a lot of things in mind, designed for manufacturability, designed for robustness, being able to, to, to withstand shock and vibe, being able to have a bi-static design that allows you to have all sorts of advantages in terms of being able to fire your, your laser and having your receiver um, uh, you know, it's kind of like fire and forget where, you, where, where they operate independently, which is very similar to the bi-static design for radar. Um, it's not a coaxial design where you've locked up your receiver waiting for the shot to come back. Um, there's all sorts of design things that he's done that allows us to be able to take advantage of this modular architecture. And so I, I think that, that, that for that AI, I'm not going to say is immune to, to these some of these issues that we've talked about because I don't and no one that's developing um, high tech equipment is immune to it but I think that we have mitigated a lot of it by some very smart decisions in design and then how we're handling supply chain. Let's close with your views on what's ahead. You look ahead the next three to five years. What excites you the most? And conversely, what's keeping you up at night? What worries you the most? The thing that I think excites me the most is. What happens when a perception solution has direct control over the sensor? So instead of, for example, a sensor, the, the way that the, the way that the sensors are connected today, this is the way that I, I like it. It's I'm I'm driving with my eyes closed, and you're sitting in the passenger seat, and you're telling me what you see. Okay, and so now that's a high speed link, right? That's let's just assume that that sort of thing is happening, right? That there's just this this stream of information that you're telling me what to do, right? I the if you can imagine where you turn your your connect your eyes directly to your brain and switch it on, 
so that you you have this almost instantaneous link between the way that the beam steering is happening and the receiver is operating, that the perception solution can dynamically control the way that the sensors are sensing the world. That is that is incredibly exciting to me. It's that it's that biomimicry that uh, that we talk about, and I, I think that the AI design. In fact, I know the AI design was designed specifically to be able to do that. So, what is going to happen, and what can what can happen? in terms of the speed of processing and the ability to sense the world and make rapid decisions um, based on what is being sensed, that excites the heck out of me. So I, I think that that as we really do start seeing over the next few years, more and more and more devices roll out and the sensors of the perception solutions start really becoming more tightly coupled and integrated, what is going to be possible in terms of man and machine interaction and and machines operating in safe manners and doing things that we can't even imagine today that's the exciting part for me and what's keeping you up at night what's keeping me up at night is the possible let, let's say that somebody comes in and says i need a hundred thousand lidars tomorrow <laughs> go right i mean it, it's 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 sort of the thing that, that any operations person i think you know worries about right is that all of a sudden the sales guys go we landed the whale and you know, in six months, can you get me a hundred thousand sensors? And you sort of blink and go, I, 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 I hope so. I think so. I, yeah, let me get back to you. I think that, that, that really it is the, the market outrunning the, the, the industry's ability to produce and ramp. Right. And then, and, and I don't care who the lighter company is. If somebody dropped a, uh, you know, 20,000 unit order on them and said, I need these in six months. I think that that would be a, an, an immense challenge. For any of the lidar companies, but um, but I do I do see that day coming. I see the day coming very quickly where um, where the design is validated, it is implemented, and then there's just some enormous ramp uh, to getting into production. But the good news is the way that 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 again AI has positioned itself. We're working with companies who know how to do this best. We're working for the automotive industry. We're working with tier one partners, Continental. Um, to to ramp to automotive production, and they know how to do that. They've been doing it longer than anybody else, and so let let the, the companies who know how to do these sorts of ramps do these ramps. I think it's again Pollyanna for a company to believe that they can be in business for five, six, seven years, and that they can become an automotive supplier with all the automotive quality that they understand exactly uh, what what it means to be a tier one. I think that that is just an incredibly tough road to hoe. And I think it's, uh, I think there's a little hubris, uh, you know, in, in that mindset. So this is why I think the business model of AI is fantastic. And the same thing for, for defense and aerospace, the same thing for industrial and mobility. We're working with uh, contract manufacturing partners who are outstanding at scaling and know how to do that. The, 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 the model that AI has come and said, listen, we, we're going to work with the folks that know how to ramp and do that best. And I think that's just a, that, that's a, that's a, great way to to approach the future rick i think i would not end on any uh, better note the the validation if you will that the know-how of how to build things in this industry at a scale of millions of units per year is probably unlike any other industry in the world and i think that is a terrific way to end today's conversation thank you for taking a few minutes sharing your perspectives on the lidar market and sharing with us what's going on at ai congratulations to you and your team Thank you, Steve. It was a pleasure. That's Daily Drive for Tuesday, May 18th. 
For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash daily drive. Make it a great Tuesday, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow.